0: Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. I'm very happy to welcome Anique Lafarge. Anique is author of two books. One of them is called On the High Line, about the high line in New York. And your latest book is Chasing Chopin, a musical journey across three centuries, four countries, and a half a dozen revolutions. Anique, thank you for joining me. It's great
1: to be with you. Love your podcast.
0: Oh, great. I like when people say that. We're going to be friends. (laughs) Anique, you have come into publishing books from having spent 25 years helping other people publish books.
1: That's right. I was... uh uh, I, started, uh, I started my career in publishing just out of college and went through, started in publicity and then became an associate publisher and, and I became a, an editor finally. And um, so I've been involved in all aspects of enabling writers, including I spent a lot of years um, recently, more recently, helping authors figure out how to set up websites um, for themselves, author websites. So I've been looking at this from a variety of different ways.
0: So you started as a publicist, and then you moved into working as, let's see, vice president, and associate publisher at two Random House imprints, senior editor at Crown, and publishing director at Bloomsbury USA. So you started selling, and then you ended up building. Would that be correct?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's a fair way of putting it. Um, I mean, I think about it more really as as enabling. Yeah. I think that's what. Um, people in the publishing business do for writers is that they enable them and so a publicist enables a writer to find an audience in all the various ways that there were in the old days when i was doing it we sent authors on 25 city publicity tours um and there, in every town there was a local radio a local tv three or four local newspapers that's obviously very different now but you change with the times and editors enable authors to find their voice and find the narrative thread and shape their books. And marketing people do what they do. And so it's. But I think it's all about really enabling a process, um, both an intellectual process and a kind of commercial process.
0: So now you've published two books, and you went into this knowing exactly how to sell them, exactly how to enable them and promote them, and everything. Does it make it a lot easier for you, or did you still? Were you just still another author that needed to do the same as? Every other author, when you got to this stage,
1: well, it did. Um, it, it enabled me, yes, because um, I've spent a lot of time, obviously, doing this. And one, of the, I think, the, the greatest way that it that it that it helped me is um, that it it I, I understood from a very young age that the as a publicist as an editor that the author is absolutely essential to the process of figuring out how to sell and market her book. And as a publicist, I remember many, many times um, just hitting wall after wall after wall with critics or producers. And I would just go to the author and say, OK, I've hit a wall. I keep getting no. How do we refine this angle? How do we how do we come up with a hook? What's happening in the world? You're the expert. This is your subject area. How can I? So it, it becomes a kind of problem solving um, endeavor. And so as an author, I really you know knew that a lot of the burden was On me, That the publicist who works at Simon & Schuster, who published my book, is not an expert in romantic music or Chopin or any of these things and was going to rely on me to – and, you know, one of the – I know we're going to talk about Scrivener later, but one of the things that I loved about Scrivener was that in that um, left-hand sidebar – I could have I, all of these, you know, these notes. And one of the notes that I had, or actually, it was a folder and had multiple notes inside of it, about marketing ideas. And so, during the entire course, three or four years of of working on this book, I would every time I had an idea, or I came across a, a journalist who was writing about my subject, or there was a competition, or all kinds of things, I would just throw it into that, um, into that file. And then when it came time to fill out my author questionnaire and information to my publicist or have a meeting with my publisher, which I did. Um, all that stuff was right there, you know, and I had an email list and I had. So I think that's, you know, one thing that I think a lot of authors resent the fact that so much of the burden is on them. They've written the book. They've gone through this whole process. But in fact, it is. You're the expert. You got to you got to do a lot of the heavy lifting. So not only did it not surprise or bother me, I actually felt enabled by the process.
0: That's very interesting because I think a lot of authors who don't know anything about publishing feel that they're going to get a contract, they're going to get a book, they're going to get this box of books sent to them, they're going to have a party, and then (laughs) it's just going to sell itself. And it doesn't work like that. Now, I mentioned before the show, I worked in a French bookshop for about three years. So I saw it on the retail end when the sales reps would come in and present books before they were published and, and try to get us interested in the books. And I saw what it took as a bookseller to convince people to buy books. So you've got this long chain from the author to the publisher to the publicist that goes down to retail. This was in the 90s, and it's a lot different now because of online book clubs and, and Instagram and all those sorts of things. But there is, it's a multi-threaded operation. I will point out that you were very proactive. You got in touch with me telling me about your book and saying that you use Scribner. And, you know, as someone hosting a podcast, I want to find the interesting authors who fit my needs here, so authors who use Scrivener. So it's good for me that you got in touch. So I'll just mention, if other authors want to get in touch, send an email to podcast at scrivenerapp.com. That's Scrivener app in one word. And maybe we can get you on the podcast too. So Chopin, why Chopin? You explain in the introduction what brought you to this topic.
1: yeah I, I I found um through over over a series of many years that that Chopin and and in particular his um his funeral sonata what's known as the funeral sonata the opus thirty five um, with a very famous funeral march um it just kept popping up everywhere I went um, I- including in surprising places like in a jazz club in Chicago after I had visited a friend there who was dying and um I, I just became and also it, I didn't write about this in the introduction but but it also the last time I visited my mother before she died um, in uh, in at Mass General in Boston. I took on the Amtrak train going home, and that piece just came into my head. But it wasn't the Funeral March that we all know. About. Bum, ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. It was the, it was the middle section which most people don't know, but which Chopin wrote in there um, as a way to almost kind of mitigate and and enhance the very sad and um, sort of more traditional evocation of death in music, and and I just thought that that's weird. Why would that? more that that sort of major melody come into my head and not the the minor melody and so i started googling and and reading and thinking and i and i just found that it was a really interesting way to to write about chopin to write about um the the fascinating period that he lived in in the 19th century He, he was born in 1810 died in 1849 and it was this just exuberant period of innovation and technology and music and publishing and Um, And he was very much at the center of that, but also very much on the outside of it, because he was a very super independent um, person who I found to be very different from the kind of cliche of the tragic, um, romantic hero that, that we've all kind of come to know. So that's why I did it. I'm an amateur pianist, too, and I love his music and I played his music from the beginning. So so that's why I did that.
0: It is a fascinating period. It goes from Napoleon to the 1848 revolutions. And as you mentioned, the innovation in publishing inexpensive publishing led to the Penny Dreadful, as it was known in the UK, and other cheap forms of literature, serial literature, which all of the great authors, most people don't think that, you know, everyone from Henry James to Dickens and all those great authors, they all published in serial form rather than writing an entire novel and publishing it like that.
1: Right. And of course, it also gave rise to the surge in publication of sheet music, which happened at exactly the same time that the piano itself was being mass-produced all over Europe and becoming affordable to middle-class families. So pretty much every middle-class home had a piano in it, and now you had the availability of sheet music because the the industrial revolution industrial revolution brought the printing press and the printing press enabled um, you know ma- mass printing of of all kinds of things including books of course but um, but also sheet music so all these things kind of came together um, at this at this time that um, that Chopin was was working and 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 performing around around Europe.
0: In your introduction, you say my project is somewhat unorthodox in that it combines various tactics of investigation. Biography, travel reporting, a tiny bit of musicology, detours through literature and art history, conversations with experts and professional musicians in an attempt to illuminate those aspects of Chopin's aesthetics and genius that resonate so meaningfully today. And I made notes of two books that I've read that are similar to this. We were talking before the show. You said these are called Micro Histories. And I love this deep rather than broad approach where instead of looking at this whole, you know the whole romantic era. You focus on one thing with a microscope, and you look at everything around it. And so the two books that I've read, they're incredibly interesting. The Novel of the Century, The Extraordinary Adventure of Les Miserables by David Bellows, and Portrait of a Novel by Michael Goro, which is about Henry James's Portrait of a Lady. And both of them take the same approach. By focusing on one book, they are able to sort of Branch out in concentric circles and look at all the influences and all the social history that affected that work.
1: Yeah, I I also am a big fan of the Bellows novel. I haven't read the, the Bellows book. I haven't read the um, the Henry James one, but um, it it really it's a it's a it's a it's a great story about Hugo writing this book and and. Um, and, and, and he, and it's very short, you know, the book, it's, 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 it's much harder to write short than it is to write long. Um, and yeah, I-, I As Hugo
0: knew quite well, because he wrote very long.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I love this, this, this genre too. One of my favorites is a book published years ago called Confederates in the Attic about, about people who dressed up in, you know, reenacted, um, civil war battles, and it's a, there's another wonderful book that I actually published as an editor by a guy called Scott Hewler about the Beaufort Wind Scale, um, which is all about the discovery of how of how we started to measure wind, which was a, a something that was going on in the in the sciences during that period in the 19th century, sort of measuring and calculating. And um, so I, it, it, you can you can you can take a you know a single subject and um, and just you know like a clothesline make a narrative. And then hang all kinds of stuff off of it. And if you if you keep your narrative tight enough and, and sure enough, um, you can really take the a good reader or an interested reader will go anywhere with you as long as you um, you know you 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 keep it um, interesting and relevant. I mean, there were a lot of things that I had to. This is a book filled with various digressions. That's why I I called it unorthodox. Um, but there are a lot of things. I just had an email the other day from a woman who's married to a musicologist that I that I love whose work I wanted to include in the book and I just couldn't. It was one digression too many. But but you just so you have to keep a curb on it um, if you're gonna do something really you know, a microhistory. Um, Tell us a
0: bit about the travels you made, because you did travel to a number of locations. You got to play some old pianos, you went to the Steinway factory in Queens. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I went to. Um, I made I made several overseas trips. I, I went to uh, Valdemossa to, to Mallorca, where Chopin spent um, with George Sand, his lover, um, a very consequential, um, very difficult, um, several months. Um, I went to Paris and Noan, which is the small town um, in central France where George Sand's family had a had an estate. Um, I went to a remarkable mind-bending place in Massachusetts, a little tiny town called Ashburnham, um, to visit the Frederick Collection of historic pianos. And they have some 30 pianos dating from the 18th century all the way up to the 1930s. And it's it's a place that really allows you to understand how pianos differ each to each. And even more, what really fascinated me was what uh, Pat Frederick, who's married, she and her husband run this place, um, said that 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 in the 19th century, countries had their own sounds. And so the pianos that they made in Vienna were made for Austrian ears. They didn't care what people in Paris wanted to hear, the sounds, or people in England or in America. And that was the same each to each in every country. So these pianos really sounded different. And so Chopin had, had, had at his disposal... Um, a variety of different kinds of in- instruments that spoke differently to him, um, and that people heard differently at the time. So it's a really important part of the story for Chopin, particularly because he was almost exclusively a composer for the piano.
0: Who is your favorite Chopin interpreter? It's a hard choice, isn't um,
1: it? <laughs> it's a really hard choice. Lately, um, I mean, there there are some right now. As you as you may know, they're they're having the preliminaries for the Chopin competition in um in warsaw and so i'm hearing all day long literally i've been listening to chopin there's a lot of really really wonderful young um young pianists um i think my favorite right now is Fu song the chinese um the chinese pianist who actually died recently um and you know i love i love to listen to the older um to alfred Cortot, and and um, i love polini particularly the earlier polini there's a uh, there's a Chinese um, pianist whose works I admire greatly, who I wrote about. His um, called Yuan Shang. His CD is sitting on my shelf. Who's um, who, who's a teacher in Beijing and is an expert on the um, on the historic piano. So I, it's it's a it's a really hard. Chelsea Guo is a is a young woman um, who just issued a CD. that's very very good. Just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, I like her a lot. So.
0: There there is no end to Chopin performers, is there?
1: There is not. Yeah, there is not at all. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you use Scrivener. Okay, good. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. Okay, so you got in touch with me by email saying you wrote this book and you use Scrivener particularly for your research. Tell me how you use Scrivener to write this book.
1: You know, for me, Scrivener is really like a, a giant database. Um, and the thing that I, that I love best about it is that it's, it's like a three-dimensional way to organize and view and engage with every aspect of content in a writing project. And um, it, it allows you, I mean, I'm somebody who writes about music. I'm a semi-professional photographer. Um, this book in, involves this this the Chopin book that I just wrote involves a lot of um, different threads and one of the things that I that I love about about scrivener is that you can you can layer in you can have a snapshot of a, a thumbnail of a photograph for instance in the right hand um sidebar and you can have a series of links you can throw an mp3 link in there too and it'll play on on uh you know on itunes or whatever whatever music program you use so i feel like it's you know i spend a lot of time working with authors to to figure out how they could make intelligent content driven author websites and i love old-fashioned websites because they too are kind of three dimensional ways to imagine your workflow and that's the way um that's the way scrivener is it really it really so i set up um, various um, in, in the in the left-hand um, uh, navigation sidebar, I have a series of notes for every subject that I'm writing, and then I have another series of um, all the reading notes that I take for all the books and the articles. Then there's a section of resources um, that are PDFs, entire books. I I, I engage with a lot of um, a lot of fellow Chopin scholars who were really kind and sent me entire books that um, that they could get through their academic libraries. So my file is more than two gigabytes large. And what's wonderful about Scrivener is that, first of all, it allows you to see a lot of different things at once. Um, But if you use the global search, you can pull up, I mean, I use Finder too in Mac, but Finder, you have to, you know, it gives you a list of search results, but you have to then open each one and close it and then do a control F to find stuff. Scrivener just puts it all there. And if you've done a keyword search, it highlights the word in all the different panels, panes that you see. So it's an incredibly powerful um, search engine, particularly if you have an enormously detailed um, uh, database like I do. So I'm using it in a very, um, you know, sort of three-dimensional way. That uh, I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I think about this sometimes. I don't think I could have written this book without without Scrivener. I wish I had had Scrivener for my Highline book, which was a little bit simpler, but would, would have been just amazingly helpful in part because I could put a photograph there and I could write about what I'm seeing in the photograph without having to have lots of screens open and,
0: and all of that. I think you're hired. That was one of the best descriptions of Scrivener I've heard in a long time.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I've become an evangelist and I keep, you know, people come to me, writers, to say, how do you do this? I don't know what to do. I can't find her. It's making me crazy. So I've had actually a couple of conversations recently with some writers who have, I do a screen share and show them my my various uh, Scrivener files. And once you see it, you, you get it completely. It's hard to it's hard to explain it. I mean, you, you obviously know about this, but it's...
0: Yeah, I think that's true because people are so used to scrolling in Word or anything else. Yeah. And they're so used to being... What they're looking at is the middle of something and they don't know where it is. Whereas in The Binder and Scrivener, you can immediately focus on a chapter, a section, a scene, however you break it up. And, or as you're talking about research elements, you can immediately get to them instead of scrolling and searching and going back and forth. So you have a two gigabyte Scribner project, which I'm going to ask around. That's the biggest I've ever heard before. So you put all your research in Scribner and then you did all your writing in Scribner as well. No. No,
1: I don't. I don't write in Scrivener. I do it the old-fashioned way in, in Microsoft Word.
0: Well, you can write in Scrivener too. That's what most people do.
1: I know. I mean, I also because I'm a little bit of a catastrophist, and I'm always, I'm always ready for the next um, emergency that's going to wipe everything out. I save every single file is saved in my Dropbox, in reading notes, resources, everything. So everything I put in Scrivener, images, MP3s, I put in 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 other. F- in Dropbox. And I save those to two or three hard drives too, just to be sure that, that everything's there. You know, Scrivener is, I mean, I've been using it since like, I think 2013. So I've been using it for a long time. It's very reliable. Their tech support is outstanding. It's, it's really just such a great app. So yeah, so I, I just, I don't, I don't write in it and I don't use it to assemble a manuscript, which I know a lot of, of authors do. I might, I'm going to, I'm going to read your book and I'm going to read that section and see if it convinces me for the next book, because I might do it.
0: The compile um, section, yeah, the compiling is section, when you yeah. when you put everything together that 's in your manuscript folder, but not that 's in your research folder, that stays out. you can dump it as a PDF, you can save it as a Word document, or you can save it as an ebook file if you huh.
1: want yeah that that 's the next frontier for me um, there's just something because i 've been writing for so long in Microsoft Word and organizing those folders in my Dropbox and doing it that way that it 's just the it's just the workflow but i i open up simultaneously word and scrivener and i'm i've got them both on the screen i've got a 27 inch mac and i just go i toggle back and forth as i'm as i'm working and it it just works for me
0: are you an outliner
1: uh yeah i do outline yeah
0: okay but you don't outline I in Scrivener. I do, Scribner.
1: I outline
0: in Scrivener. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. So you do everything except the actual writing, because if you outline in Scrivener, you can take each outline element, and that's a file, and then you can start writing into it. You're going to have to read my book, because...
1: Yeah, I'm going to read your yeah. well,
0: What's interesting but- is most authors will come to Scrivener for the writing and not really understand the research, and you've come... Through the back door, and you're using it for the research and for the outlining, yeah, but not the writing. So for your next book, we're going to have to change that.
1: Yeah. Well, the the the, the thing about the um, I mean, I know you can do uh, because I I heard you talking about this in one of your podcast episodes, how you can you can make the you can do a control something and then you just get the screen. You don't get all the, the, you know,
0: composition mode. You get this minimalist view where all you see is the the typing. In fact, it looks like you're scrolling in Microsoft word in a way. But
1: see the problem for me is that because I'm so um, research driven and I'm, I'm constantly quoting musicologists. I'm constantly checking facts as I go. I need to have, I can't write without Scrivener's um, you know, multidimensional dimensional um, platform there, and so because I'm writing a, a sentence, and then I'm going to pull in a quotation from a from a scholar or another book I've read or whatever, and I need it right there, and I need to make sure that I've got it right, and then my scrivener also has all the bibliographic data in there so I can make the footnote right away. I mean, it I, it is a it is maybe a slightly unorthodox way of doing it. But there's a sort of a purity to Microsoft Word, which is just that page. And then there's a utility in Scrivener, that, and the two of them work really beautifully together.
0: So here's a tip: you can get a second display to connect to your iMac, and you can have one app on one screen and the other on the other screen. So you don't even have to switch apps; you just turn your head a little bit.
1: Well, that's true. You know, and I do have an extra, an old, app, an old 27-inch Mac downstairs in the basement. So I guess I could just bring that up and press it into service as a. But then I've got two gigantic computers, and yeah. how am I going to see an eagle flying by on the Hudson River?
0: <laughs> Question of priorities, right? I, I think if you're working on the book, <laughs> right. you can let the eagles go because they'll be back.
1: Or the, the woodchuck who lives under my under my study. You know, how am I going to see her if I if I've got you know yeah.
0: a wall of computer screens? Yeah, no, I I understand, but you can also write on an iPad. So then you've got a smaller screen. Oh, no, no. no. okay. I, that,
1: yeah, yeah, the iPad is yeah. Really. Yeah. No, I use the iPad to read the New York Times in the morning. And that's basically the way I don't I don't love the iPad. My partner loves the iPad does everything on the iPad because I'm a I'm not a developer exactly, but I'm a very I'm a I'm a heavy computer user. I use a lot of applications and. Um, the iPad, you can't really do very much with, except it's, it's very, it comes at you. You, don't, you can't really do a lot with it. You can't engage back with it
0: so much. Well, you can if you connect a keyboard to it, and there is an iOS version of Scrivener, so you could use yes. Scrivener on the iPad.
1: And I have that, and I've tried to use it, and it just doesn't do it for me.
0: Okay. You know? Like, okay. So, so what's the next book you're working on?
1: Well, I'm not really re- – I keep changing. Um, changing. I, I was working – when the, before the pandemic hit, I was working on a book about noise, and about the, the presence of noise in our culture and what noise is and how, because I like, like Frederick Chopin, actually, I'm a very noise sensitive person. Um, and then what happened is when the pandemic hit, everything got very, very quiet and the whole universe changed. And so I got somewhat confused by that. So I'm not sure if I'm going to continue that project or not. I've started another project. I'm, you know, it takes me a while to figure out what exactly I'm going to write. I started another Scrivener um, file though for a new project that I'm researching now um that's that's kind of more in the in the universe of Annie Dillard than um you know than the work that I'm doing now, and we'll see if it if it if it goes anywhere you have to you have to put an idea through its paces
0: having grown up in New York, I can't imagine how New York was quiet. I live next to a small village in the UK now, and it's very quiet, and so the pandemic didn't change anything, but I can't imagine what it'd be like in New York with that silence. It would kind of be like after a blizzard falls, and you go out, and you get that the muffling of the snow, the way the snow muffles yeah. the sound, and the way it's quiet, because there's no one driving around.
1: But there were, of course, all the sirens in New York. Um, yes, that's when true. It, you know, and it and, it, uh, yeah, no, it 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 and 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 I think it's gotten noisier, but again, that was one of the things that I was looking at is you know, how, how can we really tell has something gotten has a city gotten noisier or have we gotten more sensitive to it or has the noise become more diverse? You know, the High Line when it first opened was almost pastoral, it was quiet, and and then the High Line was so successful and unleashed a massive amount of development and construction on the um on the far west side of Manhattan, and it's now painfully noisy to me to go there so unless you go really early in the morning i often go in thunderstorms um, or snowstorms when there's nobody there and it's very very quiet except for the sounds of of nature of course
0: so with all your publishing experience, do you have any tips for writers who are starting out, other than that the writer has to be actively involved in publicity? Any tips for writers who want to get published? What should they do? How should they approach this now? And particularly, we're in a time where publishing has changed so much between when you started and now.
1: Yeah. Um you know, I talk to people about this a lot. Um, in fact, a, a musicologist just came to me a couple weeks ago with the same with the same question. And you know, I think that the it's 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 always been hard to get a editor, get a agent, get a publisher interested in your work. Um, I, I don't know that it's any harder now. Um, I think what I think that the 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 burden is is still the same, which is that. Um, it's the the work that you do needs to be very um, your your proposal has to be very tight and your um, you know well researched and fact checked and and um, articulated and. Um, People say, you know, it used to be, we, we all talked about how important it was to, you know, to write blogs in the, in the era of, of blogs, you know, and to have what's called a platform, which is obviously very important now. Um, and, of course, that is very important. Um, but I, I do believe that that really great work always finds a home. Sometimes it takes longer, um, but, but it's, you have to make a, you have to make an outreach to the gatekeepers, and you have to keep your patience, and you have to keep your spirit, and you have to believe, you have to understand, you have to remember all those authors who got 25 rejections until they got the 26th rejection, and believe in your work. And, 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 and I think that part of what that, what that involves is a respect for your reader. Um, you know, and that, and, that, and that maybe the first reader is the literary agent, then the next reader is the editor, then the next reader is so on, so on, so on, until you finally get to the person who goes into your bookstore and, and purchases a copy of your book. Um, remember that reader while you're writing all the time. Is this, this is what I, you know, constantly in a book that was so um, wide-ranging as my book is, but also so short. The book is 160 pages. Um, you know, I kept having to ask myself is this really, it's fascinating to me, you know, I wanted to go down this whole rabbit hole about the social history of death based on an article I read by a guy called Lawrence Kramer. Fascinating, fascinating article. Um, and, and I had to abandon it because I just couldn't shoehorn it into the into the book without yanking the reader. So again, that was a, a question of respect for the, for the reader. Fascinating to me, absolutely relevant, but not quite good enough um, in the heartbeat of this narrative. And, and I think that's a lot of the work that, that, that needs to be done. I think you have to be super, super critical. Being an editor myself helped me enormously because I, I, I developed a way to have a hat for being a writer and then I would take it off and I would put on my other hat of being an editor. And I would actually say to myself, I would say it out loud to myself, you know, get that pull out of your, you know, really just what are you trying to say? cut it with all those fancy words just what what are you saying and i would literally say sometimes my dog who would sit with me would look up while i was talking to myself at the you know at the computer but i think you have to do that you have to you have to challenge yourself you have to pretend that you're your you're your own editor say really you know don't we know that already haven't you said that already does the the reader really need that can't you find something more interesting can't you find somebody else to say the same thing more elegantly All, all of these things Every paragraph kind of has to go through that process. If you do that, you're showing respect. You're showing respect for the entire process. And I think that gains you um, a lot of um, both credibility and 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 also, you know, people want to be in your presence if you're if you're showing them respect um, on the page.
0: Just before we finish, do you have any books you can recommend to listeners?
1: Um gosh, golly. You know, I've just I'm just about to start. A book called Fox and I, which just came out. It's the first book in the in the new imprint started by uh, Cindy Spiegel and Julie Grau, who used to run Spiegel and Grau at Random House. And it was an instant bestseller about a woman's relationship with a wild fox. I'm really excited to to start reading that. Um, I also just started reading Hamnet, which um, I'm sure you've, you're it's aware of. Right it's set right
0: near where I live. I'm just yeah. outside of Stratford-upon-Avon.
1: Yep, it's in your backyard. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating book. Yeah.
0: Okay, Annie Clefars, thank you very much. The book is Chasing Chopin. Link in the show notes. And thanks very much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much. It was great fun talking to you.
0: If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener.